session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwin. I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Again, our studio number 310-441-0555. So I'm coming to you live today from a makeshift studio we've set up here at my father's place where he's been doing his afternoon shows. It's my first time doing it here, but uh, very happy to be able to do the show since I didn't do my Wednesday show for a few weeks and haven't been able to actually take calls from the listeners. So I am live today and you can call in April 22nd, I should say the date, and you can call in now um, if you'd like to be on the air and ask your questions, but very happy to be broadcasting and we're trying to do what we can during the coronavirus and the, the quarantine that we're all trying to follow to reduce the exposure we have with one another, but still try to keep things as normal as we can. So. Uh, this is our attempt of doing that. So uh, please call in 310-441-0555. The book of the week for this week is The Genius of Birds by Jennifer Ackerman. I'm about 50 pages in and I'm really enjoying it. Very interesting. Uh, talks about how uh, we think of birds. Actually, there's a a slur, you can say bird brain, usually means someone stupid or we think with a small brain. But actually, birds are quite intelligent. And so the book talks about different ways that we see their intelligence expressed and also because of that we see different things that they are capable of even that we are not so it can give us an idea of what intelligence is or how we can define intelligence so um i, I look forward to finishing that book and i'll share that with you monday as i mentioned monday night I like to obviously read mostly psychology books, but I also want to read books in related fields that I think would be interesting for me, of course, and hopefully interesting for the, the viewers and listeners as well. So looking forward to sharing that with you Monday. Now today, April 22nd, is Earth Day, uh, a holiday or national or international day to think about the Earth or in, our, in our environment. And it's an interesting one. Now it's actually funny, so it's Earth Day, and right at almost midnight, when it became April 22nd here in Los Angeles area, we had an earthquake. So uh, some people were saying that was the Earth's way of saying, hey, uh, take better care of me. I'm still mad at you. Um, but it was interesting to be jolted. I was actually getting ready for sleep and it woke me up or kept me up for a little bit. But thankfully, it was fairly minor. But um, today is Earth Day, and so maybe that was the Earth's way of telling us something. I don't actually believe that, but just interesting coincidence. And so we are living in this very unusual time, very unique time for all of us that we haven't experienced before in our lives. Adjusting to it has been a challenge. Some of us are finding a rhythm. Even I myself feel better now than I did the first days going on walks, doing things, staying active how I can, getting into a routine of sorts that's feeling better. 
also trying to just take advantage of this time where things are a little bit slower. And one of the things we hear a lot and we even feel a lot is, well, I want things to go back to normal. And that's understandable. We miss a lot of things about our regular lives, from routine things we did to seeing one another and hugging one another and so much more. So we can understand that wanting to return to normal. But uh, because it's the Earth Day, I think it's another aspect of this is to recognize the damage we do to the Earth or to the world and being mindful of when we want to go back to normal, are there some things about our old normal that we should not want to go back to? And one of the areas where I think this is very relevant is how we've been treating the Earth and the world as if it doesn't really matter what's happening or, uh, you know, we don't know if it's having a negative effect or what's going to happen. Or also people sometimes think, well, we'll figure out a solution, uh, which can be sound nice that we have this hope in humanity and human beings that will come up with inventions and new technologies that will reverse damage that we do. Uh, and it sounds uplifting and hopeful, but it can be idealistic and unrealistic too to just assume that we're going to figure out some way to reverse damage. Uh, I talked about this recently when, it, when I was talking about the book Upstream, when we look at prevention rather than cure, and an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, even in psychology, if you say, well, it doesn't matter what you do to your kids, we'll come up with better therapies and medications that'll fix your kids once they're adults. And we know that is not the case, or we can try, but almost always when you try to repair something, it's going to be worse than if you never let it get damaged in the first place. And so I think the same thing applies to the earth. Uh, and we have been living through our lives, and if we look at how we've approach technology basically whatever we've come up with we've used it and and sometimes almost abused it but just thought well we should use this new technology as much as we can whatever that is from uh, technological advances in um, you know phones and electronics and internet to also things like gas and other things that we can extract oil from the land and we haven't really been very intentional and so something I talk about when we look at our own lives and how we use our time is making sure we are intentional with how we live our life. Because what most of us end up doing is we don't choose the life we live. The life we live kind of happens to us. Okay, uh, I have to do this, I have to do that, I don't have time for this anymore. And so this is just what my weeks and my months look like. And so that's what I do and that's life. And we think we don't have time for anything. We think we don't have a lot of choices. And really our life happens to us rather than we choosing how we want to live our lives, how we want to spend our time, what we want to have in it and what we don't want to have, how we want to spend time with family, friends, how we want to take care of ourselves. A lot of those things we think we don't have much of a choice of, and we just look at it as an afterthought. Well, when can I figure out time to do those things? And so it's been interesting on a personal level is for most people, not for everyone, there has been a slowing down of life. There are less things to do. You don't have to drive places. You might work from home or not, unfortunately, work at all, depending on what you're doing. And so that slowing down has given us a lot more free time to choose how we spend our time. And of course, many of us might not feel very good about the way we're choosing to spend that time, maybe watching a lot of TV and feeling inactive and sluggish, even though ideally we'd want to work on so many things. But we are given this chance to reset. Once life starts going back to quote unquote normal, 
like we had before, we will have choices to make of how we're going to spend our time. Are you going to want to work as much as you did before in the same way? I see so many of my friends posting pictures and videos with their kids. One of my good friends from graduate school, Dr. Scott Rauer, I just saw him post a video that was for his professional page and he wanted to talk about something uh, about a, a podcast he'd listened to and he, his uh, little daughter was in the background and it's kind of, it was cute, but it's sweet and we realize, well, can we have more of that in our lives? Uh, I think most people will realize that some of this of having more time with one another, at least with our immediate family, we can't interact with so many people, but that's something really beautiful and nice that we sometimes think of as the last thing. Well, we'll do that when we have everything else taken care of, but maybe we can put our life in order in a way where we have more time with those loved ones. So we're given this reset to look at how are we spending our time and this new normal that we can create. And I hope as the world, we also do that. First and foremost, many people were in crises before this coronavirus pandemic people living without um, food and education me medical health care all those kinds of things across the world including here in the united states there's many people suffering in crises before all this panic and pandemic came about for essentially the whole world um, and i hope we won't forget those people that were in a crisis before and realize if we go back to normal we will be going back to oppressing those people or not letting many people have the, the human rights that they deserve to have food, shelter, health care, even mental health care to be taken care of. So when we try to rush back to normal, I hope we'll slow down a little bit and recognize that we have more of an opportunity to think of what kind of normal we want to create or recognize the abnormal in our old normal. There are ways that Things were very unhealthy, both in our personal lives and how we were spending our time, and also in the way the world was set up and who was able to have access to certain things and who we were taking care of and who we were neglecting. And so I hope we won't just rush back to think if everything goes back to how it was in January 2020, then life is good. And to not forget those people who are suffering and who have been suffering before all of this happened. And also, in a global scale, what I think has been remarkable is people coming together, oftentimes for other people. So it might not affect them, and they might not really know who they're helping, especially since we're fighting this invisible war, so to speak, against an invisible memory uh, uh, enemy because we can't see the virus itself. Um, but many people are coming together. You might stay at home even though you might be healthy. Of course, we're all at risk and we've seen stories where it's not just affecting people who are older or who have medical conditions. We can all be affected by it. But oftentimes we're thinking of others in what we're doing. We're coming together, inconveniencing ourselves, paying a price, so to speak, uh, to help other people. And I think that part of it is wonderful. And of course, healthcare workers really risking their lives to make sure everyone is uh, doing as well as they can and, and uh, helping people who are sick. That's been remarkable. And other workers who are out there who are essential, so to speak, because they're providing services that we still need or think we need. So there's people that are doing that. But all of us are trying to do our part to help not everyone necessarily, in a way everyone, but helping people, especially those who are vulnerable. And that's the part I hope we don't forget, that when we think about 
the world and we think about problems, sometimes people think, oh, you know, homelessness, we, we can't do anything about that, or it's not about me, or people who are struggling in different ways, we think that, well, it's not us, and we assume we can't fix the problem or do anything about it. But I bet you if six months ago I told you, you know, for a month or a month and a half, you're going to stay at home and everyone else is going to stay at home uh, to, to fight this virus, you probably would doubt that that people would actually do that, that everything would shut down the way that it has in order to try to protect and prevent the spread of this disease from hurting even more people than it already has. And I think that's pretty remarkable that we've come together. And I hope we will continue to come together and recognize we can do something about it. Maybe we all pay a little bit of a price in whatever way that might be, but we make sure that everyone is taken care of that we are not neglecting anyone. And when we think about the well-being of a, a world or the wealth of a nation, to me, it always has to be measured by how the most vulnerable people are being taken care of. Essentially, rather than looking at average wealth or GDP, it should be measured by the overall well-being of all of your citizens, not just are a lot of people comfortable and some people really suffering. That, to me, is not wealth or well-being. That is just oppression and something very unjust or uh, an injustice or unjust and something we should do. We have to do something about. And lastly, bringing it back to Earth Day, I hope we'll think about that too. What were the normals that we were accepting about how we were using resources, how we were polluting, how we were doing so many things to the Earth that we shouldn't just rush back to? Maybe we can do something different or be more mindful. We've noticed something, as much as we aren't doing so well, or maybe we wish life was different than it is as we're in quarantine, we can do without a lot of things that maybe we didn't think we could do without. So maybe we can make adjustments in different types of what might feel like sacrifices in the moment, but really could help benefit the whole world in the long run and to make things better so that we can take care of the earth as well. We haven't been very nice to our planet and haven't taken care of it. And this could be a reminder, Earth Day, is to remember that we should think about that and what we can do. And as we rush back to normal, I hope we will do more to first take care of all the inhabitants of this planet Earth, make sure that everyone is okay, taken care of in ways that we have the resources for, but haven't been giving those resources to everyone. And then also in how we take care of the planet itself and the environment and well-being of the planet for the future, not just thinking in some uh, almost hedonistic way, use whatever we can now, enjoy the moment, and we'll figure it out later. Hopefully we'll think a little bit more long-term about that to take care of this planet that we have. So on Earth Day, I hope we'll remember taking care of the Earth and also all the people that live on it. All right, let's go to our first commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 3104410555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Okay, I can't hear them. I don't know if they're coming on the air yet. Oh, is anyone on the air? I can't I can't hear a caller. Okay, I don't know if we're having some technical issue with 
the headset because I don't hear anything yet. Radio Hamra, are you there? I'm not sure if their sound is coming through for everyone else. I can't hear anything myself. So um, we're having some technical issues, so please bear with us. We're trying to figure out how to make things work. Again, I'm not broadcasting uh, from the studio. And so Ghazal is in the studio trying to link things up. And so we're having some technical difficulties with that at this time. But anyway, so um, as I mentioned before, actually, Dr. Scott Rauer, uh, he posted something about a podcast he had listened to and it was about feeling our emotions and so during this pandemic one of the things people are dealing with is increases in anxiety that's very common uh, there's anxiety comes from uncertainty not knowing what is going to happen in the future what's happening now and it doesn't feel good and of course we're trying to think of ways to deal with this to cope with what we're dealing with and our feelings which is important and we can find ways things like exercise meditation yoga talking to others making sure we stay connected to people many people are making sure we recognize when we say social distancing really what we mean is physical distancing but we have to make extra efforts to socialize stay in touch do video calls uh, with friends and family all those things can be helpful um, but uh, it, of course it's never going to replace being face to face but we can try that as much as we can but another thing that comes up with our feelings in general not just during this pandemic is people want to know how do i get rid of this feeling this bad feeling, of course, people tend not to want to get rid of good feelings. Um, but so they'll say, how do I get rid of this anxiety? How do I get rid of this anger? And even this comes up in therapy, a client comes in and they say, I'm feeling this way. How do I get rid of this? So help me get rid of my anger. And of course, the goal is understandable if it's an excess of anger or if it's interfering in your life in some way we can understand that desire but this first and foremost is reflecting our inability or our intolerance for our negative feelings or all of our feelings which starts from childhood and something that we take forward we think happy good i should be feeling good sad mad those are bad feelings which will say get rid of those feelings and very often parents have this goal when it comes to their kids. I have to make sure my kid is always smiling and happy, and the moment they're crying, my only goal is to get rid of those tears and to make sure they're not sad anymore. Now, it's understandable that we want to do that, that we want to try to make sure they feel good, but this is not really our goal as a parent and as an individual. It's not to erase bad feelings and only have good feelings because that's not part of being human. If you're a human being, you're going to have all sorts of feelings, good, bad, things that feel good, things that don't feel good, happiness, sadness, envy, jealousy. These are all parts of the human experience and all parts of first relating to yourself and relating with other people. If you are in a marriage and you expect I'm only going to feel good and if I ever feel upset or angry or hurt by my partner in any way, this is a bad marriage, you're going to be set up for failure because you're going to be unrealistic in your expectation. And you'll think, oh, see, my, my partner doesn't make me feel good. I'm supposed to be with someone else. And you'll constantly look for someone new on the outside because when you haven't 
been in a relationship with someone, they haven't made you upset. And so when you think of that person, you think, oh, they're really good and make me feel good. And I'm fighting with my partner or not feeling good with my partner. I'd be happier with them because see the goal we think is happy. I'd be happier with them. And this is oftentimes what happens in relationships. People are with someone, they're married or in a relationship for years and they see the conflicts and things that come up and they don't feel very good about the things that are going on. And they think of someone else, someone from work or someone they're flirting with or talking to. And they see, when I talk to that person, it feels good. There's nothing negative. But here with my husband or my wife, I have these negative feelings. Something's wrong. And unfortunately, this can lead us astray because we don't realize that those negative feelings doesn't mean that the relationship has to be negative. It just is a recognition that in any relationship, you're going to feel some negative things too. This is part of life. And so a big part of our mental health and well-being comes down to being able to tolerate all of our feelings, including the ones that don't feel very good. This can seem counterintuitive because people think if someone is mentally healthy, they're going to be happy all the time. Oh, look how happy she is or he is all the time. That means they're doing well. Of course, that can be one sign of being healthy is if you feel good a lot of the time but you can't feel good all of the time just like physically you can't feel good all of the time and so the parallel i like to make is that when we look at these negative feelings and by negative i mean the ones that feel negative in the moment doesn't mean they're just bad and we should get rid of them think about your physical body in the same way if you have some kind of a pain of course, you don't like the way it feels and you want to get rid of that feeling, but you first want to understand where it's coming from. So like I said before, people come to therapy and sometimes they think, how can I get rid of this sadness or this anxiety? They quickly want a solution. And even as a therapist, you can feel this uh, pull. Okay, I got to help them. I got to fix them, so to speak, even though we know that's not the right path. But you can feel this pull, especially if they're asking for it. But you have to try to be patient with them. But imagine going to a medical doctor and you have a pain in your foot and you say it hurts, doctor, help me. Well, of course, if they want to just instantly take away the pain, they can give you a bunch of painkillers, inject you with a bunch of painkillers, and you won't feel the pain anymore. But I think most of you would consider that as really bad practice or probably even malpractice if your doctor did that. They're not just going to quickly numb or take away the pain. Of course, that can be the ultimate goal. But what they're first going to do is do an examination. Let's try to understand what's causing your pain. Let's try to understand what this is telling us. Because if we just numb you or take away the pain in this moment, you could deal with the same issue or worse issues in the future. The pain doesn't just disappear or the underlying problem doesn't just disappear because we've numbed you. So this is where we have to recognize just like with our physical feelings, the same is true with our mental feelings, that pain shouldn't be something we just run away from, avoid or numb as soon as we feel it. This is very key. We have to be in touch with and try to understand that pain. So the doctor does a check. Okay, does it hurt when I do this? What about this? And then maybe if they want to go deeper, they'll do an x-ray or MRI to see what that underlying problem is. And that will help guide the treatment going forward. Similarly, with our emotional pain, we have to look at it not as just good or bad, 
but as a source of information. So if you're feeling angry, you have to understand that anger, where is it coming from? Not just try to get rid of it or not just explode at someone. Or if you're feeling sad, what am I feeling sad about? What could this sadness tell me about me and what I'm going through, what's good, what's bad in my life, maybe something I need to change. If we just get rid of it, we miss that source of information, which could be very important. Because let's say it's from a friend of yours who makes you feel bad or your partner, something they did makes you feel bad. Even if you find a way to run away from it, to numb it, to do something to make that pain temporarily go away, the problem hasn't gone away. So later on, it could come up and usually it becomes stronger. So let's say your partner is doing something you don't like and you try to just numb the pain. You know, people say, I choose my battles or I'm very patient or I'm easygoing. What usually happens is if that thing happens again, you'll actually be even more upset or hurt. You build a resentment and that's actually going to make it more likely that you react in a bad way than in a good way. So if we look at our feelings as a source of information, that allows us to utilize that information to our own benefit in our favor. And uh, uh, Brené Brown talks about feelings and numbing our feelings, which I think is really interesting point she makes is that when you numb your feelings, you try to numb the bad feelings, you can't just numb the bad, you essentially numb the good also. So if you don't let yourself feel sad or feel hurt or feel upset, in a way you're also limiting how happy and good you can feel too genuinely. When you don't have that genuine relationship with what's going on, you don't get to feel very good. And the example I sometimes use is, let's say you uh, don't want to feel any pain in your arm or any negative feeling. So you say, you know what, just inject my arm with a whole bunch of you know lidocaine or whatever, something that numbs my arm. And you might say, oh good, I don't feel any pain in my arm. But guess what? If someone also gives you a massage or if someone you care about comes and puts their hand on your arm, something that maybe would feel good, you won't be able to feel that either. So when we numb ourselves to some of our feelings or if we try to numb ourselves from some of our feelings, unfortunately, we essentially are numbing ourselves from everything. We're disconnecting from ourselves and we're not actually able to experience life and experience things in a true and genuine way in the way that we actually can. And also if we weren't able to feel pain, you know, sometimes we feel, oh, these feelings are so annoying, feeling sad, feeling mad. Uh, maybe I could just not feel them. Going back to the analogy of the human physical body, if you wouldn't feel any physical pain, this would actually be a huge cause for concern. And there are some people that are born, and I don't know exactly the medical explanation for it, but where they don't feel pain, and it is quite dangerous because if something is wrong in their body, they won't be able to feel it. They won't be able to take in that information of, oh, you know what? My leg is really hurting, what's going on? Or I have this tightness in my stomach, maybe there's something going on there that I need to get checked out. And they won't be able to take care of themselves. So we have to recognize our emotional body in the same way. Yes, it doesn't feel good when we have certain feelings, it can be painful. But one thing to keep in mind is feelings are almost always going to be temporary, meaning that even if this feeling doesn't feel good right now, we can have faith and hope that it's not going to last forever. And also, we can actually say, hey, I want to listen to what this feeling is telling me. Uh, imagine this another way. You have a child, and 
you would like your child to let you know when they're not okay, even if in that moment it doesn't feel good. Let's say your child is feeling very sick and ill and needs your help getting medication, being taken care of. Of course, when they tell you it doesn't feel good, you'd rather your child be healthy than be sick. But of course, if they are sick, you definitely want to know as a caring parent so that you can help take care of them. You need that negative information to be able to respond to it. You wouldn't want to say, well, because it doesn't feel good, I just want my kid to never complain or say something is wrong or that they're sick. Even though it doesn't feel good, you want to know. And so we should try to have that same relationship with ourselves. I want to know how I'm feeling because I want to use that information. Even if it doesn't feel good in the moment, I want to be connected to myself. And so the same thing follows through, as I was saying, with the kid, with anyone you have around you. If we're not able to tolerate their negative feelings, we can't be in a close relationship with them. And this is why many people, if someone they love is sad or crying, they don't know what to do. They kind of freak out and they try to get rid of their loved one's tears. Or if the person stays sad, they go away from them because they, they can't tolerate those painful feelings, that sad feeling. And unfortunately, that leads to disconnection. So when we try to block our feelings, or if we try to block someone else's feelings from themselves or from us, it leads to disconnection in whatever way that is, whether it's our own feelings or someone else. Just like if you try not to feel your physical sensations, you can get disconnected from your physical body over time as well. The emotions are the same. And of course, the overlap is very uh, strong as well, because we know that every emotional feeling we have comes with physical sensations as well. So there is that connection. And many people, because they think the goal of life is not to feel bad, go through life feeling very disconnected from themselves, unfortunately. And this doesn't actually allow for them to lead, live and lead a genuine life where they can feel the good, the bad, the ugly, which really is what makes life what it is. In order to feel really happy, we have to risk being very sad. When you are in a relationship, you're with someone that can make you feel very good. But of course, if they do something, say something or something happens in that relationship, you also risk feeling very bad. There's no way around it to say, I only want to have things that feel good without any risk of feeling bad. You either have to live uh, empty life where nothing makes you feel very good and also won't hurt you or we have to live with that risk so in this challenging time of course we want to do what we can to help ourselves feel better to help ourselves deal with the feelings that we're having but at the same time we also want to make sure we're allowing ourselves the permission to feel our feelings yeah i'm feeling more anxious because i don't know what's going to happen in the future and actually I could practice mindfulness to try to be as much as I can in the moment, but I can understand that feeling I'm having too. So we want to understand and own our feelings, see what we can do to cope in healthy ways with whatever is going on, but don't think the goal is to block, erase, or numb any of our feelings. That's not going to lead to us overall uh, being as happy as we could be with our lives or living a more fulfilled life. It leads to us actually being more disconnected from ourselves and the people around us. So let's go to a commercial break. Again, uh, the, the phone's lines are open. We're trying to figure out how to work while I'm here uh, at my father's home and Ghazala is in the studio trying to set everything up. But the number is 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi. We'll be right back. 
welcome back again our studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 let's try it again to bring a caller on radio hamra you're on the air hello 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 hi yes i can hear oh, you hi hi okay so um hello thank you so much for taking my call um, my pleasure i wanted to uh, ask you a question so me and my family are immigrants to the united states and mm -hmm. we're from the middle east so my question is, if all of my ancestors were from the Middle East, and we grew up there, um, and then we immigrated here, and my question is like about the circadian rhythm, so, so does that mean that when the time zones change, that our bodies also adopted to like the different time zones? Could it be possible that like my body still thinking, oh, like right now it's daytime in the USA, but it's nighttime mm -hmm. in, in the Middle East. Could it be possible that my body's still kind of like not quite aware that the time it, zones have changed? <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um, so you asked about the circadian rhythm, if I heard you correctly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, I mean, I'm not an expert on the circadian rhythm and how that exactly works, but what I do understand about it is that it gets reset by the sun and light. Mm -hmm. And so this is why we can experience things like jet lag if you take a flight somewhere that is very uh, different time zone. By the way, we're getting a lot of background noise. I don't know if you can limit that a little bit. Um, yeah, I but, hear that too. Like the... the like that sound yeah yeah also sounds like someone's like there's dishes or things being moved around i don't know what's uh, happening there but anyway um so the circadian rhythm seems to get reset with when we're exposed to light and things of that sort so it doesn't seem that the genetics would play a part in that that you're saying your, your family goes back many generations to iran that it would affect the circadian rhythm in some way uh Maybe if you guys are talking to family there or trying to stay up with people there, that could affect how you sleep and rest here, but that shouldn't have an impact. And really overall, um, you know, we, we are very fixated on things like race and ethnicity and looking at genetic factors and, and even these tests like 23andMe where people try to understand their uh, genealogy or their ancestry. And I can understand the interest in that, but really, it does seem that we're much more similar as human beings genetically uh, than we think. So to think because I have some ancestors from this country or this region, that means I'm more this way or that way, doesn't seem to be the case because more of what we're seeing is culture rather than genetic expression. So, um, you know, just being Iranian doesn't mean you're going to have a gene that means you like warm sabzi, but warm sabzi is part of our <laughs> culture where we might have that food. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of the what I would say from that. Was that your concern was that you feel like you're tired or your timing is off? Yes, yes. I feel like perhaps my body thinks that right now I should be sleeping, but I'm awake just things like that or i should be eating at this time and uh -huh. not how yeah. long have you been in the united states for seven years <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i think your body after like seven days started to adjust so seven years later i'm okay. sure uh that's happening now and how old are you i'm uh 18 i just 18. 18 
Okay. Now, you know, at 18, um, in the adolescent years, your body obviously goes through lots of changes, but we also find that teenagers oftentimes have a later start and end time for their days. So let's say if the typical person wants to wake up at seven, an adult, a lot of times for adolescents, that'll be later, like let's say 10 a.m. And that's why even there's at times a push to have school start later because they feel that the adolescent brain is not quite uh, as alert or awake during those early morning times when school is starting. But of course, it leads to logistical issues like parents and their work and picking them up and all sorts of things. So it could be hard to actually implement, but very often that could be the case. So it might be that you are feeling a little bit off because of that just your timing is a little bit different and of course there can be physical things that can affect that and also things like depression anxiety can affect our sleep and mood and various things so you can take a look at those things but the likelihood that it has anything uh, you know it, it's kind of sweet you're saying i'm so you're so connected to the iranian people that you're still in their time zone or your body is still there but realistically realistically it seems that your body adjusted a long time ago so i'd look at these other factors that might be uh, in play okay all right what what would you like thank you so much what would you sure. recommend for like the hours of sleep and when would be a good time to go to bed and wake up I mean, I don't I don't think it's a set bedtime. Um, I'm definitely not going to be your parents and give you a bedtime right now. But um, what can be important is, of course, it's individual to individual and what's going on. We know there's things we can do to help us. Uh, well, well, let me ask you this. What's the problem you feel like you have? Is it you're sleeping too late? Uh, I just don't feel like alert like I used to. So, yeah, just okay. unbalanced. So when you, yeah, when you say like I used to, how long ago? Uh, upon immigrating, so about like five years ago, I was like good, top notch, healthy, super athletic. Mm -hmm. But then lately, it's just been going downhill. I've gained a lot of weight. I'm a lot mm -hmm. more tired. I'm not energetic. I'm irritable. I used to be super athletic. I used to have a six pack. I was super like happy, motivated. Just not anymore. <laughs> Hmm. Okay. Have you seen yeah. a change in your mood also, like how you're feeling? Yeah, it's a lot more like um, erratic. So one minute I'm happy, one minute I'm a bit sad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So again, adolescence, of course, leads to changes that people are going to go through. But some of the things you're talking about can be signs related to things like depression. So there could be something there to be aware of to look at if you're feeling very down again teenage years are going to have some of that more erratic feelings but like anything we don't want to just say if you're having it it's normal because it could be more than what's normally expected so uh, i would want you to look at some of those things when i say you could be feeling depressed do you feel like that could be true for you maybe how would i fix that well, let's, you know, before we can fix it, like I was, I was talking about this earlier today, uh, we want to try to understand it first to see what's going on. Of course, uh, seeing a therapist can be helpful first in just trying to understand what's going on. And then potentially therapy and maybe even therapy and medication could be helpful along with things you can do on your own, including things like exercise, which you said you have been doing less of, but um, meditation, making sure you're socializing, and also seeing what else in your life might be making you unhappy or, or contributing to how you're feeling. 
I have I have a question regarding to like psychology. Okay. Do we cycle through every emotion and then just go on repeat afterwards? Well, I mean, I think you know. Um, you said cycle through every emotion. I don't think it's like a playlist where you're going to necessarily go through all of them in succession. Like, okay, happy, now I'm going to be sad, now I'm going to be jealous, now I'm going to be angry. I do think as human beings, um, we have that whole playlist as part of life. So you're going to feel them at different times, but not necessarily in a cycle that, okay, if I'm happy, that means next has to be sad or has to be something different. But that we all, if we allow ourselves, will feel the range of human emotions as life also uh, affects us. You know, things happen that you might feel different things. And so there's kind of an internal thing going on that could affect our mood, but then we're affected by what's happening on the outside. And those two play in a way kind of a dance together that can affect how we're feeling. So I definitely believe that every human being will in the course of their lifetime feel every human emotion, uh, but not necessarily in like a cycle, like you're saying that it has to be one after the other. Now, that being said, I think it's always important for people to remember that even if a feeling feels very strong or feels like we've had it for a long time, it still doesn't mean it's permanent because our feelings are changing. And so if any of us thinks back to the saddest we've ever been, very often in that moment, it can feel hopeless, like we're going to feel sad forever. How could I ever get over this pain, whatever it is we were going through? But we can realize now, oh, you know, as much as back then it felt so forever, clearly I'm not feeling that way anymore. And I think this can be something good to hold on to because when we feel those really big feelings and it can feel so intense and feel like things might n never change, uh, we could try to remember that, you know what, as bad as this is, this is not how I'm going to feel forever. This is now, it could even last a while, but this is not a forever feeling. All feelings come and go, and this one will too. I have another question. Is it okay if I ask you this one? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So every time people like get happy, does that mean that there's something negative about to happen? Like will life always be up and down in a way that at the end it will be equal zero so you had hmm. as many good and as as many bad times as you had and everybody will have like zero and die. <laughs> well, that's interesting. It, it seems like uh, you're coming from this mindset of everything has to kind of, you know, like you said, the playlist before I said the playlist, but cycling through or everything has to equal zero. Um, I don't I don't think so, because, you know, we can make a lot of choices that might affect life. Things happen to different people. So uh, it, it also seems in some way related to karma in the sense like you're almost saying, well, if you're really sad right now, that means later on you have to be really happy to make that yeah. balance out in someone. And I, I don't think of it in some kind of way of balancing out per se, that it has to equal some kind of zero. Uh, I do think we feel lots of different things. Also, what you might be saying, and I don't want you to carry this forward, is that, well, I'm feeling really happy, but that means something bad has to come my way because I'm feeling really happy right now, which could almost have this pessimistic viewpoint that makes it hard for you to even enjoy a good feeling because you're saying, oh, this yeah. feels amazing, I'm feeling so happy, and then in the back of your mind comes this thought, uh-oh, that means someday soon I have to feel really, really sad. And I don't think that is the case, that there's some kind of balance in that sense because you can do lots of things. You know, someone could be in a really bad 
relationship that's making them sad every day. And maybe if they leave that relationship, they'll feel better. But if they stayed in it, they would continue to be very sad every day. So uh, we have, I don't like to think of it as complete control over our feelings, because I don't think that's true. But we can impact and affect our feelings by what we do, what we think, and in various ways that can affect it, but not that we can, let's say, protect ourselves to never get sad again or never get mad again. And I mentioned this in the last segment, I don't even think that's healthy, um, but we can impact the way we're feeling. And so I don't want you to take with you going forward this feeling that, okay, if I'm happy, I have to be sad soon, or if something good happens to me, something bad has to happen to me, because that could lead to a very, uh, you know, it's hard for you to enjoy the moment because you're always thinking of something. Now, as I said, thinking that the feeling is not forever can help us to be able to tolerate it while it's there and not to overreact to it or to try to turn to let's say drugs alcohol or something else to just take away that feeling and it could help us tolerate the negative feelings when they do come so i wouldn't think of it as some even score but definitely we are going to feel all the feelings well okay so will life end or are we like going to grow infinite oh wow you're <laughs> you're asking bigger and bigger questions and as they get bigger uh no, the less i can answer no no that's i mean it's an interesting question i can't obviously i can't and no one can tell you what happens when we die there's no you know obviously if you believe in some religion or something you can have those beliefs and that's a personal thing but no one could come tell you this is what's going to happen uh, after we die we don't know I do think that what you said about the infinitely growing, not necessarily infinite, but throughout our life, hopefully we'll have the mindset of, I want to grow for the rest of my life, whatever life is, how long this life is and whatever happens afterwards. But as long as I'm here, hopefully having that mindset of, uh, I want to grow. And so using, even you talk about dying, I, you know, I think when people say you're either growing or you're dying, I like that mindset that our whole lives, we should think of it as how can I grow as a human being, as a person with this time that I'm given in every aspect of my life. Um, but, you know, you're asking some existential questions about what happens after life and that itself can create things like existential anxiety that people can feel because we don't know and that can be scary. And I think that's why it can be good. Of course, we ponder some of those things, but to come back and this is where meditation and mindfulness can be so helpful to try to bring us back to the present moment, which is the only moment we can feel and the only moment we can have some kind of control or effect over and try to do what we can now that we feel like is good for us and good for our growth and well-being um, and realize as much as we can to try to not get too focused on the things in the future that we can't control or predict. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Really nice. oh, thank can you, you I mean, a little bit about like, the law of attraction? Please? Law of attraction? <laughs> yeah. Well, law of attraction, um, I don't really... Uh, I, I want to say believe in the way that it's sometimes it's presented. I think it's very important to visualize goals, to visualize yourself, your future. That can be very helpful 
in one, giving you the motivation because you might think of what it's going to feel like to get that goal. And so uh, people find that helpful. And even there's research showing that it can be helpful to visualize your goal, what it's going to look like, what you'll feel like, and also can help you develop a plan. Well, if this is where I want to get to, how do I create some kind of map or how do I go in that direction? That I think can be very helpful. What I don't like about sometimes the way this law of attraction is presented and things like the secret is it creates a very passive way of achieving goals so it's like okay you want to you know you're 18 you want to get a college degree just imagine it ask it for the universe to give it to you and you're going to get a, a, a you know and so i don't think that's at all the only way you're going to get your college degree is if you work your butt off you know you have to work really hard to get there and just wanting it or wanting the universe to giving it to you or to be open to it that's not going to be enough yes i think you know you could visualize it what is it going to feel like when i graduate who's going to be there what will i feel like what am i wearing all those things actually can help you get motivated for it but until you work very very hard you're never going to complete that bachelor's degree so that's the part i don't like that it makes it very passive and it can tap into some magical thinking that we all would like that all i have to do is want it and think about it in a certain way and it happens for sure but that's not really how life works it only works if you work it you know so um it can be appealing and and maybe even in some of what you were saying where it's drawing towards well do things just balance out does the universe make everything even i think the universe is a little bit less neat than that of course it has a lot of laws and things that make it work but it's not that okay if you just want something it happens or if you are sad you deserve to be happy so tomorrow you have to be happy uh, a lot of it is out of our control but there's so much that is in our control that we want to make sure we do everything we can with the things we can control and then the rest we have to just let happen and accept because we can't change it anyway what about the idea that opposites attract, like opposite males and females? And well, does that uh, look for, like, friendships? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's something, you know, it, we have to be, it's, it, of course, you're hearing all these things that sometimes they're sayings and opposites can attract. Now, very often they lead to issues down the line. So you might be able to be friends with someone who's very different from you. In some ways, it might be appealing. But very often what people find is longer term or in a longer term relationship, there have to be some level of matching. Uh, not exactly have to be, the, of course, the same person, but there has to be some level of matching to feel that. Um, you're compatible with one another. So sometimes it attracts because it's exciting because it's so different, but longer term, it might not work. So, um, you know, it's, it's also one of these funny things. You hear a lot of sayings and some of them sound funny or sound good, but we want to go a little bit deeper with all of them and try to, you know, and it seems like you're doing that right now. You're trying to look at things a little bit more deeper, things you're hearing, things you're reading about, which is good. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things, as I was saying before, about constantly growing. We're constantly thinking about and reevaluating things uh, and trying to learn so i think it's good that you're in that process of uh, of looking at these things and one thing to be aware of i know you're talking to me and i definitely don't have all the answers but be aware you know this is for everyone that when we go online there's lots of people that will make it seem like they have all the answers and they know everything but no one does and so what i always tell people is if someone is telling you life is easy or they figured everything out or any of these type of simplistic ways of looking at 
the relationships in life or life itself, they're either selling you something like a product or a course, or they're trying to sell you themselves. <laughs> like they want to be something like a guru or something. And it's about that rather than real life. You know, real life is hard. Relationships are hard and we have to accept that. And then again, work hard and do everything we can to make it the best we can, knowing that life is going to be tough. I have last question. Okay. We make it kind of quick because yeah we already yeah 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 go ahead okay if somebody um cares for another person who has another lover um how do you do it i couldn't hear you if somebody cares for another person who has another lover who's been together for a long time you know how about let me let me stop you there because I'm also having a hard time hearing you. I don't want to cut you off. So we're going to go to a commercial break because we're a few minutes past that. And then we'll bring you back after the break, okay? Okay. All right. Okay. All right. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dalakwi. We will be right back. Welcome back. Uh, before the break, I was with a caller. Let's go back to her now. Radio Hapro, are you still there? Hi, yeah, I'm still here. Okay, all right. So you, you had a series of questions I felt like was kind of like a lightning round, which is kind of interesting. So let's go to the, you said you had one more, though. I couldn't quite get it. It was something about mm -hmm. when someone has someone else. I couldn't really hear you, though, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. If somebody cares for another person who, like, has them sort of ever, um, how should I approach that situation if I want to be friends with the person or if I don't so, want to be friends with the person? Well, that's, yeah, that's going to be the decision you can make. So if you could tell me what you mean, like, are you in a relationship? Are they in a relationship? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, they're in a relationship with one another for two years. Okay. And then do you, are you romantically interested in one of them? Yes. <laughs> in okay. the guy, of course. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, it could be, you know, I just, it could be uh, any, anyone. I just wanted to be clear on that. Okay. So you like the guy, but the guy has been with someone for a few years. Yeah. Oh, that's always okay. simpler. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so you're asking, what's your question? So how should somebody, how should I approach that? How could I be friends with him or should I not be friends with him? Like how could I spend time with him? How would that, how should that play out? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. Well, of course, you're going to make the, the decision on that, but I can give you some thoughts on it. Um, you know, if you romantically are interested in someone, but they're with someone else, and you're saying, okay, can I have a friendship with them? Now, can you? Yes. But more than likely, you're going to be playing with fire in a few ways. And most importantly, that if you have feelings for them in that way, in a romantic type of a sense, it's going to hurt every time you get even closer with them because they're with someone else. So what you really are setting yourself up for is that there's a lot of pain and even usually the good feelings are going to be bittersweet because you're like, oh, you know, it's so nice. I feel connected to him. But then you remember or see he's with his girlfriend and it's going to hurt. So uh, again, the decision is, of course, going to be yours. But more than likely, you're setting yourself up in a way that you are going to get hurt more than you'll probably feel good and also because of this person, what can end up happening is we think about them a lot. You're talking to them, wondering when you're going to talk to them again. You might not allow yourself to uh, explore other people that maybe you can actually be in a relationship where it's mutual, that you could be in a, a you know, uh, 
a two-way relationship where you both are together because you'll end up being preoccupied with this person. So that's that's something to think about that it's probably, you know, I know you're saying, how can I do this? But really, there's probably no way to do it where it's not going to hurt. The closer you get to him, the more likely the harder it's going to be for you that so that it's really it's kind of a lose lose for you in a lot of ways. And what you also can ask yourself, some people can put themselves in these situations where they maybe are afraid to be with someone themselves, or they don't want to be in a relationship because it can feel risky. So they put themselves in some situation where they get some kind of connection, but really, there's no chance for it to become more. So you could be setting yourself up in some way for that too. Yeah, have you have you expressed to this person that you're interested in them in more than just friends kind of a way? Uh, yeah. Okay, and what did he say? Uh, he well, it was it was very sudden, uh, but he was very nice and kind about it, and he smiled and um, and he just later on, like later on, he kind of came up to me and was like, "Hi, friend," just I'm like, "Hi." Like half mm-hmm. year, there's nothing changed. Ah, I see. So he didn't directly respond, but he kind of tried to make it clear you were in the friend zone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that doesn't doesn't feel very good. You took your risk, or you shot you you know you shot your shot, as they say. I don't think I said it right. You got to shoot your shot, but um, it didn't end the way you wanted it to. But I think more than likely, if you stay in this a close friendship with him, you're also gonna feel. Um, in a way, this slight rejection the whole time, like he's choosing this person over you, even though it's not really the case, but that's how it can feel. So that's another concern I would have for you, that if you stay close to him, it'll always feel like this withholding or this rejecting type of a feeling that you'll have from him, that he's always going back to her. And so you could be setting yourself up in that way, and you also have to ask yourself, do I somehow see myself less than or like not enough in some way? Is there something about your own self-esteem and how you feel about yourself? Oh, maybe. Maybe that's the case. I mean, do you think you would like to be with someone in a relationship? Yes, but usually the people that I'm interested in are not interested in me. Hmm. Okay. I can see how at least that's been your experience you're saying so far, and that wouldn't feel good. Um, But it doesn't mean that no one is interested in you and definitely no one would be interested in you. Uh, But, you know, that in a way what you're doing is you're confirming that with him. It's like, oh, see this guy that I like that doesn't like me. And you're keeping yourself in that place over and over again. And so I would rather you challenge that and say, okay, he doesn't like me or he doesn't want to be with me right now or you know he's with this other person but can i find someone that i like and likes me rather than keep in a way hitting your head against this wall hoping that something different will happen because you deserve to be with someone that wants to be with you and is with you and you definitely don't deserve to keep pursuing something that's just we already know how it's going to end and it's going to end in you feeling bad about yourself and feeling hurt but why is it that I never like care enough for those people than I do in the way that I do for like, this, this kind of people? You know? Well, you say you. Why do I never feel for the people that like you? 
Well, right now you do. Right now you do. You know, people, even if they're in a relationship, um, you know, sometimes people are, let's say, dating someone for a few years and they break up. And if too soon after the breakup they try to date someone else, they'll say, oh, I feel so much more for my ex than I do for this person I'm on a first date with. And it's like, well, of course, you're still feeling connected and you were attached to that person. So no one is going to be able to fill up that kind of space. So at this moment, I, I can believe you that you don't feel for any other guy what you feel for this guy. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that it's because this guy is so unique and special and no one else can ever make you feel this good. It's just that you've been connected and attached to this guy right now, and it'll take some time to get over him, but you definitely can feel what you have with him and even more with someone who you are actually in a relationship who's giving you all of themselves, uh, but it'll just take some time. And the only way you can really get over him is to minimize, or actually I would recommend just cutting contact with him completely because it's kind of like a drug. If you keep taking even small amounts of that drug, you're not going to get over it. You kind of have to let yourself go through the pains of withdrawing from that drug to get over it and then be able to, to move on to someone else. But for the time being, he will be your number one. And so, yeah, you'll think of some other guy and be like, oh, I don't feel anything for him. When I think of this guy, I get butterflies or I get excited. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's because he's something so good for you. And even that butterfly feeling is kind of interesting. I'm not saying you didn't say you have butterflies, but I can imagine you have those kinds of feelings for him. Sometimes we can get that feeling not necessarily because we're so connected to that person or they make us so excited. They actually might make us nervous, but not in a good way. Like you don't feel very good when you're talking to him because you know it probably ends in a bad way or, oh, wait, he has a girlfriend. And so you misattribute that feeling to be like, oh, my God, I like this guy so much because when I talk to him, I get so nervous and my stomach hurts or I get these kinds of feelings that tells me he must be wait, the right guy for me. Okay, this is an odd question, but could it be like a psychopathy empath sort of relationship? I'm so sorry, but honestly, could that be possible? But what do you mean? Like when you say danger, like do you feel like he's going to hurt you? Yeah, maybe like he's not a good person, you know? Uh, you know, there, I think it's always a good idea for us. Of course, you know, when you feel attracted to someone, it, it can happen in a way automatically in that moment but to also evaluate people we're attracted to because I, I don't know what's what he's like or what's going on, but you can ask yourself, well, what is it about him? And also we can notice patterns over time. So if you're, for example, always attracted to guys who are unavailable, that might be telling you something or attracted to guys who are um, treating you bad or what? Are really like prideful in themselves okay yeah yeah maybe there could be something there to look at that you think it's something so good but it could be coming from some kind of wound from your past or something else that's drawing you actually to the wrong kinds of people so we of course will let ourselves feel the attraction but then we don't want to just listen to that attraction you know they kind of say we want to go with our heart and our head when it comes to life and love and so you want to make sure you do that not just saying oh i like this guy that's all that matters we got to think about what might be going on there that's attracting you to this person and our feelings can feel so real that you think oh no it must be because how great he is and how good of a match we are but it could be a lot of other things going on that i would want you to at least reflect on and recognize that if you do want to feel something for someone else it's going to be hard for you to do that while you're still connected to him and feeling so much for him.
Yeah. That was a lot to digest. Thank you so much for explaining. Yeah, that. yeah. That was my <laughs> I have this a lot. Thank you. I'm sure you do, and I'm sure you'll have more. So feel free to call back. But think about those things, and you know, uh, think about also yourself, and be uh, more aware of your own goodness. Because I feel like with this person and the way you talked about other people that you've approached, there's a way that you're being negative on yourself and down on yourself. And I hope you could recognize your own goodness and that someone good will want to be with you that you like and you can have a good relationship with them and you deserve to be with someone that 100% wants to be with you and not with someone else at that same time and give yourself that worth that you deserve that. Okay. Okay? All right. Thank you. Very nice talking to you. Take care. Great talking to you. Take care. Oh, thank you. you. Thank you. Sure. Bye-bye. All right, let's see. We've got about a minute, but let's just go to a, a commercial break. So studio number is 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, thanks for calling. Hi. And, um, okay. Are you there? Yes, I can hear you fine. Go ahead. Okay, great. Um, my boyfriend and I are senior citizens, and we have been in a relationship this last year. And, um, we're having a lot of problems with arguments. Okay. And he, I think that, you know, he has a temper and he thinks that I have one, but I have worked through mine to a certain degree that I don't usually um, erupt unless whatever he's doing is gone on and on and on. He can give me lectures that last two hours. And um, he gets very upset about things, and what I get upset about is that he sometimes... um, tells me what I have to do. And I said, I am 76 years old. I've lived a long life, and I'm not about to have someone give me orders and demand what I should do. He, mm-hmm. He'll just say to me, like, just do it. Just do it. Or he'll say, um, or he'll grab the tel- telephone out of my hand and say things like, you know, you don't, I have to take this away from you because you're you're on it too much or you're saying too much and it's time for us to, to go to bed or to do this or do that. And it just is very frustrating to me. To say, I said, you don't have the right to tell me what to do. Okay, so uh, this, um, it seems, of course, I'm hearing your side of things, but you feel yes, that he right. lectures you and you also he tells you what to do. And generally speaking, in a relationship, of course, we're going to be concerned with our partner and what they're doing and how they're living their life. But definitely, we not, should not be making demands or giving them orders on what they, they should be doing. And lectures, even if it was trying to help you, they almost always don't work. And parents do this with their kids. 
but uh, people in relationships can do that. And it seems like you feel like he's coming from a very parental space when he does that, but it's not going to be generally a beneficial type of thing. Now, one thing, taking a step back, you said, he says, you have a temper, you say he has a temper. And what usually happens when a couple is having some issues is that they get into a very kind of courtroom dynamic where it's trying to prove who's right and who's wrong, who's innocent and who's guilty. But in order for you and him to uh, try to get to a better place, you both would benefit from coming from the space of, okay, we've both contributed to wherever we are today in positive and negative ways. And we both are going to have to contribute together to come to a better place than we are at right now. So rather than me against you, it's me and you together. And so that shift in dynamic, it's easier said than done. But if you are both able to do that, um, that will help in trying to get to a better place than from where you are now. But the the issue of, and I'm sure you've brought this up to him, that you feel that he's telling you what to do or lecturing you. What, what's his response? He, he doesn't feel, he said, I'm just, like, you made, you made a statement, and it's, he feels he's always looking out for my best interest, and, and I don't understand, and he does. And mm-hmm. he, he'll tell me what he thinks I'm doing wrong or what I'm doing about this or that, and um, it drives me crazy. And so what kind of things does he, you know, are these things that he feels like you don't understand that he has to teach you or tell you about? Well, he wants to, he wants, he has diagnosed me several times on what he feels like I am, what do you do? He's here. Okay, he can, (laughs) one of the things in the past, well, he'll tell me I'm, I'm too um, possessive or I have too many, um, he, he does, he, okay, the, this is a big thing with us, that I, is I had some relationships in the past, I have not had a long committed relationship for over 20 years, I'm divorced, and he's divorced, and he's been divorced quite a while, mm-hmm. but um, I haven't had a committed relationship, let's say. And I have a few people from my past that I have text messages and and a couple of pictures and emails and there's very few emails. And he wants me to delete all of them. Mm-hmm. And I say, okay. I don't want to. These were friends of mine too. And they're people that I cared for, I was not in love with. And, um, but I, I was in a sexual relationship with them, mm-hmm. and so he, he's very upset with me that I won't get rid of them. Okay. And he says every counselor in the world would tell me that I have to do that. Well, you guys can consider going to see a counselor, but since I'm talking to you guys right now, um, taking again another step back before we get into deleting pictures and things of that sort, when you mentioned the lectures and people you maybe do this with him as well. What we tend to do with our partners or even again parents will do this rather than focusing on what we're feeling because that can feel vulnerable. For example, I don't like that you have something or I don't like when you say this or do that. It can make us feel safer to go to this general of 
what you're doing is wrong and unhealthy from a fundamental way. And let me tell you why in this long format of, you know, this is why and yeah. science proves this and that. So I understand that aspect of it, but what can be more meaningful is to get into the feelings that you both are having. So he's having about this. This is how it makes me feel um, when you do this or don't do that. And having that kind of a conversation rather than a debate of, what's the right thing what would uh, you know the field of psychology say you can both turn to that together but again not in a let's prove each other right or wrong type of a way but rather maybe we can learn something yeah. together that's a very different mindset so um you know when it comes to these things like the pictures and things like that you guys can have conversations where you express for both of you what does that mean for you so maybe for him it can feel like uh, I feel like you're still connected to those people or you still are holding on to them in some way. And then for you, it might be, well, it was special things in my life that I don't have some kind of emotional connection to, but whatever it is, but getting to that feeling underneath. Uh, oftentimes couples, when they fight about the same thing over and over again, it can be what's sometimes referred to as an unresolvable problem, meaning that you might not ever see it exactly the same way where it might right. not be perfectly solved, but you might be able to come to a place where you can first understand and respect where you're both coming from and then find some type of a balance that works. It doesn't mean the problem disappears, but it could be more tolerable than what it seems to be now, which is a source of constant fighting and disagreement. Yes, and he's always telling me what I'm thinking. He'll say like, I know you're still thinking about them in your head. And you think about that that you're going to bed with them or something. And I say, I am not. I have no interest in them anymore. I'm with yeah. you. And then right. he'll tell me, no, I'm lying. Well, I, I think it is important for, in general, but especially in our relationships, to give our partner the space that they can tell us what they're thinking and feeling and we can't tell them what they're thinking or feeling. So if someone tells you they're happy, we have to take that. If they tell us they're sad, right. that's how they feel. And and so um, it does seem that he is telling you what you are feeling, which does seem to be more expressing his worry or his feeling about it. And that's what I mean again, rather than him telling you, you think this, you feel this, I think it would be healthier if he could say, you know, I feel this way or i worry about you yeah. still thinking about them in a sexual way and that i can learn to understand you much better if you guys can talk about it and, and you might get to the point where you see how much let's say it's bothering him and you might decide to delete them or by you expressing to him what you're feeling he might be more you know uh tolerating them more but getting to the feelings your own you can only tell each other how you think what you think and you feel not what the other person is thinking and feeling and so when i hear that it's more reflecting what he's feeling necessarily than what you are feeling and i think yes, it's important for him to I express think, that i get so frustrated when he won't accept what i'm saying as yeah. the truth as and your it, truth it is right my truth and it yes. i need to be honored by believing what i'm telling him i'm not making it up we've had differences in the past and we've overcome them and then we're starting a committed relationship like as of like last November, December and mm -hmm. then, but it keeps going backwards 
it keeps going with bringing up the old stuff. And and I try to tell him that that he should believe me, and I'm not lying to him. I lied with to him in the past, but not now. And mm. so it's a big hurdle that we've you know been trying to overcome. Well, that's you know you mentioned the lying in the past. Unfortunately, uh, trust is a is a very delicate yes. thing, and so yeah. it's something we build. And like a building, you could take years to build it, but one thing could make it, you know, collapse or have some issues that are some big damage. And so there could be some need to go back and look at that, uh, the trust and the ruptures that happened with whatever those lies were or the however you were being dishonest with him, because it could lead to him still holding on to this feeling that I can't, even if you right. tell me something, I can't believe it. I have to dig deeper to find the truth because you're not going to tell me the truth. And so that could become a huge challenge because you can tell him something. And if he's worried about it, he feels like it's not safe to believe you. And he'll rather stick to his belief that something is already wrong than to you know trust that it's okay and feel like he might get blindsided or hurt again. So uh, you guys might have some work to do going back and repairing that trust. Because at some point, you'll have to both be able to accept your, each other as you are. And so this also relates uh -huh. to what you're saying that you feel he wants to change you. And of course, we want to grow and we want to support our partners in their uh, path to growth. But we can't try to impose change on them. And especially we can't try to say, I want you to be someone else. If you're choosing someone as your partner, you're choosing all of them you know, the good, bad, and the ugly, and whatever is there. And you have to be able to accept who they are. And if you can't, then you might recognize that we can't be together if we can't accept each other as we are. But to try right. to constantly change each other to become this partner we want the person to be, you're just going to end up uh, hurting each other in that process. I agree. Did, yeah. Did you want to say anything? Okay, he's here. Yeah, if he wants to give his, I wouldn't mind hearing from him too. Yeah. Why don't you say something, Mike? Okay, he wants me. He really likes you and your father. Uh huh. And well, maybe so it's, he, I wonder if he maybe he likes me less after some of the things I said. <laughs> he <knows>? maybe wanted <laughs> he maybe wanted to be more on his side, and I'm not trying to be on either of your uh, oh, side, so to I speak. But I want you guys to, you know, come to a place where if you if you find yourselves having the same fight every day, or not every day, but very often, that's something we Quite call gri yeah. yeah gridlock. You know, uh, I talked about a book on my show Monday night called Eight Dates by John Gottman and his wife Julie Schwartz Gottman and two other authors, the Abrams. And it might not be a bad book if you guys. It seems like you guys are taking this relationship seriously. And uh -huh. since you guys have been stuck in this, it seems like with these types of arguments, you might want to try communicating in a different way. And this book um, can be very helpful in facilitating conversations, including some things. The first chapter is actually on trust and commitment. And it seems like you guys have some issues there that could be looked at and worked on. Yeah. And then it goes forward to some other uh, you know, conversations as well. So I think you have to look at 
you know, it's very easy to say and can be harder to do. But if we keep doing the same thing, keep having the conversations in essentially the same way and not getting anywhere, we, we have to try something different. And what I see with couples sometimes is almost like they've had the same fight so many times that they have a script. And so once it starts, I almost feel like they grab their scripts and start reading from it because they end up having the same fight over and over again, just adding to the resentment and the distance between them rather than leading to some level of connection, which is what we actually want from our disagreements. So you'll need to try something new in order to get to a better place. Now, let me, you know, you can ask him this. What was his hope from this conversation of calling, of you calling me? Because it seems like he wants you to talk, not me. I don't know if that's because he doesn't want his voice on the air or... Tell me to get rid of all this. this. (laughs) Yeah, now I will... All the like messages, I said, yeah, text messages and so forth. But so, um, you, I'm you know, I will say this: do that, and yet I don't want to call them. I don't want to go see them, and it became such a big issue in the beginning that I let him see my. He he got hold of my phone anyway, so mm-hmm. that I said, okay, just look it through my phone. And then he ended up reading a whole lot of old text messages that went way back, years before us. And some of them were a little risque. And mm-hmm. he he just has gone crazy over that. Yeah, and I that's thought, a... That was before I even met you, so what in the world are you <laughs> getting so upset about? Yeah, so and there's so- a, a lot of things going on here, and... Um, yeah. You know, he, going back in the past, and if he's uh, listened to my father or me, you know, we always talk about in romantic relationships, talking about your history, you can want to know the generals, like, you know, especially big things, being married, being engaged, longer relationships, but the details almost always only add pain. Uh, and don't give us anything. So unfortunately, the curiosity we can understand, but him reading your old text messages, like you said, before he you know, even met you, unfortunately, those kind of like they sit like seeds, which just grow into I these know. kind of nasty weeds and that he can't get rid of. Because even if it was before he knew you, it's hard to I shake know. that so feeling like because that. right now, yeah. So I think... Um, He's correcting the date. But in little petty things, we get in arguments because he'll, he'll say, why are you watching that TV program? It's a stupid thing. Why are you watching something like Dateline where somebody dies? You shouldn't mm-hmm. be watching things like that. You should watch something where you're learning something. And I, I, yeah. I said, you know, I'm, I, I like what I like, and I have the right to mm-hmm. watch what I'm, I, I like. And so I, I, it's just like, you know, silly stuff. That, but it's very intense at times because he just starts telling me how it shows that I'm not. In, I mean, it just goes on and on about he can talk about it forever. Well, and there's a way it makes you feel judged and, you know, he's judging your life yeah. and telling you. And that's not a good feeling. Um, and so, you know, we're at a commercial break, but I don't want to wrap things up yet. So just hang on okay. the line. And after the break, we'll talk and we'll let him maybe chime in a little bit more, too. Okay. Okay. All right. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we were with a couple. Uh, Let's go back to them now. Radio Hamra, are you still there? Yes. 
Okay. So we were talking about you and your boyfriend been together about a year, you said, and some of the challenges that you guys have been having. Now, during the break, did you guys talk at all or uh, talk about what we talked about so far? Yeah. Yes. Oh, <laughs> okay. well, he was very upset with me that I didn't mention that um, we, we, we had a very, the way we started together and sort of worked it into a relationship, it was not the normal, you know, I'll ask you out, I'll take you out for coffee mm-hmm. or something. And then we started out as kind of friends that we knew each other and and that we did a few things together. And then it became more than, than I had intended. And so while we were seeing each other, like over the summer before October or November, when I feel that the commitment came, but I was seeing a couple other people, and I dated more than one person at a time, and I did lie to him that I that I wasn't seeing the. He realized that I was well. Actually, he 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 got someone that followed me around and so told him that I was seeing other people. And he checked it out too, and so I lied to him about that I wasn't that I was ready to have a relationship with him, and I wasn't. And okay. so he wanted me to tell you that, and that's what, what the line was. And mm-hmm. then I finally we did get some counseling, and um, there was a, a week that she asked him. I was seeing this one boyfriend that I had seen for a number of years, and um, she asked him if he would feel bad if I would see him and have sex, and he said, yes, I'd be sad, and I said, and she said to me, do you think you can see him, and we both knew I had a date with him that Friday night, and I said, can you see him without having sex with him? And I said, I don't think so. And so I did see him, I did have sex with him, and then I told him goodbye. I said, I started a relationship that I, that I want to see where it goes, and I think you and I need to stop seeing each other. And he, he said, well, that's wonderful that you found someone, and and that's good, and I'm going to miss you, but I want you to, you know, have a better life and do such and such. And then, so we, and I thought he'd be happy that that happened, and then all kinds of stuff happened, and he, I was upset, he was upset, and um, that's been a big, So and he was very, very angry that I had sex with that guy. <laughs> and so, because he knew I, I did like him a lot, but it was more of a, a friend with benefits sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I've tried to, I've, I've tried to help him understand where I was coming from. And and since that time, I, I um, sent that guy one message in December saying. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving, and I hope you have a very nice Christmas. And that was it. And he saw it because he always was checking into my phone, and then he got very angry that I had done that. And 
why did I have to call him again? And I said, I didn't call him. I sent a text, and it was very bland. It was it was just nice. And that's all. And since that time, I haven't talked to him. I haven't seen him. I haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. I have put my efforts and my time and energy into our relationship. Yeah. But, you know, the unfortunately, you guys definitely didn't start off on the right foot. Now, initially, being friends first can be great, but because of this messiness of, uh, you know, you were dating multiple people, maybe you guys hadn't talked about it, or also once you did talk about it, you might have felt that if you were completely honest with him, you might lose him, so you lied to him about what was going on. Unfortunately, all of those things, uh, of course, are going to have a huge impact on the foundation of your guys's relationship right. at the level of trust and it seems like you guys haven't overcome that uh, those hiccups it's not like you guys have repaired that damage and are now moving forward you're still in some ways stuck with what happened there it hasn't been fully repaired unfortunately you know because uh, you know I, I i i remember when i hired a, pu- a private investigator it's usually not something that goes in wedding vows you know so that's not the most no. romantic way to start uh, a relationship and doesn't show that the trust was there unfortunately so i think there's a lot there that if you guys don't go back to and again not that he, uh, he needs to lecture you about why it was wrong in like a moral sense or based in psychology, but really about what he felt. Because even if he had done that, now I'm not saying your text message was something really wrong, but even the way you described it, it didn't mean that much to you. But if you knew it would hurt him so much, you would maybe be okay not sending that text message because it seems like you're saying it wasn't so significant. But if you knew, let's say, it was really going to upset him, you'd be like, you know what? I don't have to send this message. And if I know the person I care about and love would be so hurt by it, then there's no need for me to send him that message, which really is just a friendly type of a thing. Because to him, that guy, you have to understand, is always going to be associated with this betrayal, to him betrayal. And so anything related to him, whether it's a picture, uh, text message, anything, is just a reminder of that betrayal. It's like opening the wound or at least reminding him of that wound again. So if he can express that to you even more from in his own words about his own feelings, I think that can help you see it from his side rather than uh, telling you why you're, you know, are bad or did bad or, you know, shouldn't do this. That can be less meaningful than really seeing it from his emotional perspective of, I can see how that hurt you. And if it means that much to you, I want to make this change. And then again, you would, if you do, but would want to make whatever those changes are, not because he's telling you you have to do it or you're bad if you don't do it. That's very well, different. He, what he wants me to do, he told me many times, is he wants me to admit that that segment of my life was very bad and I made wrong choices and I wasn't living by the morals of society. And I said, well, I don't care. I said... That was my time to do what I wanted to do in my life, and I did it, and I enjoyed it, and I'm not going to go back and say it was bad and I was terrible. And I said, right now I'm in a committed relationship with you, and I'm not seeing anyone else. And I've told him over and over how sorry I am about that that 
text message that I sent, but I still keep getting it thrown in my face over and right. over again. And, and you know, um, when I hear what you said before about him saying he wants you to admit that it was bad or, or you know, you did something against the morals of whatever society or however he puts it, what I hear there is that he saw for him a side of you that concerns him. What if you could lie to him? What if you could cheat on him? And he, it's almost like he wants you to convince him that that wasn't me. I am this person that won't do those things, that won't hurt you in that way. So it's almost like he wants you to cut that part out. It's like, oh, I was just going through a phase or something happened, but that's not who I am. So that uh -huh. he can, in a way, remove that rather than, again, evaluating it on the course of let's like survey 10,000 people and ask them if they think what you did was right or wrong. I think he's more concerned about, is that you? And making sure that's not you, because to him, that's it's scary to feel like, can I trust you? Because of course, he's talking about the past and bringing up those things, but it's also this fear of what's going to happen going forward. Can that happen again? Can I let my guard down and really just love you? Or do I have to feel like I have to be on the lookout because you might hurt me again? And one other thing I'll add is I'm assuming there's a cultural difference as well that yes. you guys have as far as background because... Um, well, he, he's Iranian. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I assumed he was Iran and Iranian I'm because... not. <laughs> yeah, because I assumed. He, but what I loved about him when I first met him is he's very, um, he's very progressive. He's very mm -hmm. um, forward thinking, and he's open-minded to many things. And I mm -hmm. made the mistake of thinking that included sex. Yeah, and, and that's I what I was going to say. That yeah, that it did not include that, <laughs> and I, I think it's some of our culture differences. Sure, I think that does play a part. And even when I hear you talk about what happened during that time, um, a lot of people I work with in my practice and even on the radio are Iranian, and they talk about sex in a different way. There's even a way that you might be more comfortable with it, which isn't a bad thing. It actually could be quite good, but that might be different for how an Iranian expects it to be talked about. And so you guys probably have different cultural understandings of sex, what it means, what it means to be a good person when it comes to sex, and on top of that, even maybe more strongly, when it comes to a woman, unfortunately, there can be different types of um, values or a double standard of sorts that's common in traditional Persian culture, which I'm definitely not saying is a good thing, but that could also be playing a part in how he feels about all of this that is happening. So to you, something that seemed mundane or not like a big deal to him can feel almost unforgivable. And that could be also a part of this. So when you guys are talking, you're coming from two different places where you're saying, yeah, well, I did this thing that's not a big deal. And he's saying, no, that thing is a huge deal and is totally wrong. And I need you to admit that it was wrong so that I know we're morally in the same place or even in a way yeah, culturally yeah. in the same place. So, you know, we just have a few minutes. Of course, I would like to talk to you guys even right. more to, to get into it. But it's going to be important for you both to recognize the situation you're in. Everything that's happened has happened. You know, the 
the mistrust and the lying. And here we are. And also you guys are who you are. He is who he is, an Iranian man and all the other things that he is. And you are not Iranian. You're, uh, I think, I'm assuming an American woman with all the characteristics that you have and who you are. And you have to both decide, can I A, accept our relationship as in, has what happened been something that I can move forward from? But then also B, and very importantly, can I accept this person as he or she is as my partner? Not that, oh, if she changes in this way, then I'd be with her or if he changes in this way, but as they are, because that's who that's what we're dealing with, not this ideal version or this changed version of the other person, but who you guys are today. And you both have to be willing to at least accept that for the time being to move forward. Or if you realize, you know, no, I can't be with you because I want you to be different then you might have to accept that you wouldn't be a good match. I would hope that since you guys have already put this time together and gotten to know each other, and there's, I know we focus on the negative, I'm sure there's a lot of positive too, that you at least try to work on it. I know you went to some therapy, but it seems like when you guys went to therapy, you weren't even in a committed relationship. So that's not really gonna have the same impact as going now, but also trying to have different conversations you know, I mentioned that book, trying some different things, but really the, the the paradigm has to shift because if you go forward in the same way, you're going to have the same fight and you can have the same fight for the rest of your lives, which I'm sure neither one of you wants. No, I don't want to do that. Yeah. So uh, like I said before, it's going to be about understanding r- rather than what's right and wrong, good and bad, each other's feelings and experiences and hopefully giving each other Uh, love and respect for whatever it is you're feeling, even if it's different from what you might think you would feel in that situation. And then hopefully trying to create a different type of future going forward. But first, you guys are gonna have to revisit that past because it seems like he's not over it. And, you know, uh, which I could understand, it was very hurtful. Trust is the most important thing in a relationship. So I hope you guys can go back and see what you can repair and go forward. And I hope you'll both accept each other as you are and realize that if you're in a relationship, you're in a relationship with that person you're choosing today, not some other version of them. Yes, thank you. Could you give me the name of that book again? Sure, Eight Dates, like the number eight. And then the authors are the Gottmans, or the first authors, G-O-T-T-M-A-N. G-O-T-T-M-A-N? That's right. Okay, and it's Eight Dates? Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Nice talking to you. Great. Nice talking to you. Take care. Wonderful to talk to you too. Thank Uh, you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. And I want to give a very special, special thanks to Ghazale, who is in the studio. We're trying to make this work again. I'm not in the studio myself right now, but to make uh, the show work and take callers. So I appreciate her help there. And to everyone listening out in the world, you've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi. Have a wonderful day.